Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin. My co-host Bruce Kelly is on vacay this week. Uh, I think he's doing some ice skating up there in New York or something like that. But uh, we have a uh, fantastic guest this week. I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation. Uh, Nadia Papagiannis, Practice Lead Multi-Asset Solutions at Northern Trust Asset Management. Uh, Nadia and I have known each other for a long time. She I guess I originally met her when she was at Morningstar uh, a, a few years ago, and then she was at Goldman Sachs, and and now she's uh, at Northern Trust. Uh, Nadia, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jeff. It's so good to be chatting with you today. Yeah, this is this is fun. Thanks a lot. I'm, I'm glad we got to catch up. Well, first of all, how long have you been at Northern Trust? So I've been at Northern Trust a little bit um, over three years now, September of 2018. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it is. I mean, it's not a, a new area of the financial services space, but it's definitely one of the newer areas. Let's talk a little bit about what your role is there. I, I mean, you you have some interesting titles, practice lead multi-asset <laughs> solutions. I don't know. I love those titles. <laughs> yeah. Where, I don't know what focus group came up with that one, but um, what what exactly is that? Uh, so basically, Jeff, um, I lead the model portfolio business at Northern Trust Asset Management. And um, model portfolios meaning full asset class implementation, asset allocation implementations using mostly ETFs. Um, but also, you know, um, we have mutual funds and separately managed accounts. Um, but basically putting those um, pieces together following our asset allocation, portfolio construction expertise, and helping advisors use those model portfolios so they can get better outcomes for their clients and grow and scale their practice. Okay. And did you say that you, you lead this group? Yes. From a, from a practice business perspective. Yes. Okay. All right. Great. I hope they're treating you all right over there. They seem like they've got a lot of good people at Northern Trust. I, yeah. I, yeah. They're, they're pretty nice folks. Yeah. Today what we want to talk about is uh, we've got low interest rates, We've got uh, inflation, which seems to be stubbornly sticking around and pushing higher. But we're gonna we're talking about um, helping advisors uh, help their clients who are, I guess, in or near retirement, right? The the income part of of portfolios. What do you see for a, I guess, a a long retirement with with lower return potential, mostly on the fixed income side, obviously. The biggest issue with long retirements, right, we, is, is just the uncertainty of, of retirement in general, right? And that's why um, individuals go to advisors in the first place, right? Because they don't know um, how long they might live, they don't know how long they might work, what income they're going to count on from Social Security or their pension, their tax situation, and how they might optimize that, how much to spend, how much to save, and how to invest. But it's no less uncertain for the financial advisors, right? So markets are constantly changing and challenging. It's very difficult to forecast what the markets will bring in terms of return, risk, inflation, and income. And um, you have to forecast what's going to happen over the near term and what's going to happen over the long term. And when things change quickly, like obviously they did today, uh-huh. um, I can't believe I'm uh, <laughs> I'm uh, headlining the news today when uh, there's there's a whole lot going on with Russia right now. Stock markets plunging, oil prices spiking. 
what do we do about it? And so should um, advisors, you know, should they take risk off for their clients? Should they realign their portfolios? How do we explain what's going on to our clients who might be panicking right now? What do we do? And that's um, what we do with our retirement income portfolios and Northern Trust. Uh, well, since Nadia referenced the date, we are recording this on February 24th. This podcast will post or publish on February 28th, Monday, February 28th. And yes, today the markets are, uh, are pretty wonky. Uh, Russia has, I think, officially invaded Ukraine. Things are looking dicier than they were maybe even 24 hours ago. So what are some of the, I guess, the the income strategies and, and well, first of all, why is income so important at at the retirement age? I, I always have this question because, you know, you, you we know that uh, people live often decades in retirement, but we always think of retirement as like this end point for investing or I maybe maybe just I think that way. You, OK, you made it to retirement. Now you got to hope you can you squirreled enough money away that you can survive. <laughs> Um, but it's not, I mean, if you're going to live for, you know, three decades in retirement, shouldn't you still be, shouldn't you still have some risk assets in your portfolio? You should still be in, you know, investing for gains, right? Absolutely. Um, gone are the days when we can just put our investments in just, you know, some safe investment grade bonds and get 6% return. And all of that is income right now, traditional investment grade bonds. They're um, our, our forecast for the next five years is only two and a half percent return and only one and a half percent of that two and a half is coming from income and um, income. So, so once you save, you, you spent all your money saving for retirement you have to know how to spend it. You have to know, um, you know, do you need to keep part of it growing? What part of it do you spend? How much do you spend? Is it, you know, a fixed amount? Is it a variable amount? Does it change based on what's happening? I mean, there's a, there's a lot um, that goes into that. And uh, most advisors are looking for, um, from, for a planning perspective, investments that are yielding somewhere between three and 4% because, um, you know, the, the it used to be a 4% rule of thumb, but as um, rates have come way down over the last um, couple decades or so, um, now it's more like a 3% um, yield that advisors are looking for. And um, essentially, it's easier from a planning perspective to spend the income that your investments are generating uh, while letting those investments continue to grow. And hopefully, there are some growth assets in there because, as you say, Jeff, um, you know, hopefully we live a long time. And um, there's some statistics, they, they uh, haven't um, updated this in a while, but the Employment um, Benefits Research Institute, the EBRI, uh, before COVID, they were forecasting that 40% of Americans don't have enough assets to retire with, and um, they're gonna experience some kind of a shortfall. So that, and that was before COVID, right? And as we know that um, COVID, turn flip the, the table on a lot of people's um, long-term plans. So um, definitely a large portion of our population needs to continue to grow their assets in retirement as well as um, try to find this source of income generation. And um, it's hard to do both. It's hard to grow your portfolio and generate a sufficient amount of income off of your portfolio at the same time. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised that it's only 40% of I guess Americans who don't have enough money for retirement. 
Um, well, I guess I guess that assumes that Social Security is going to be there for us. So yeah, which is a big assumption if we're have thirty years to retirement, right? <laughs> right. And I know that Nadia, though that that statistic is not something you personally generated, but I always question stuff like that because when you say not you particularly, but when someone says there are 40% of Americans don't have enough money for retirement, said, so, well, I would imagine a lot of those people are in their 20s and 30s, and they're probably not supposed to have enough money for retirement right now, or, or else they would be retired. I'm sorry, I um, just to make that more specific, it was um, heads of household between um, 35 and uh, 65 years old. So it was like the the ones that are, you know, later in the later stages that should be thinking about their retirement. Right. Because I, I pay more attention to whether or not you're on track. You know what right. I mean? Like when I look at my own stuff, they always say, okay, most people are here and you're here or, and that's always, it's a good thing if you're ahead of most people, you know, <laughs> at, least you, at least I'll be eating the expensive dog food or whatever. All right, let, let's talk a little in some specifics here. This is this is some of your research here. You, you, the three prominent risks facing retirees, uh, longevity, purchasing power, and downside risk. Let's, can you, you want to break down each of those? Um, so longevity is, you know, just having enough squirreled away, as you say, so that we, we can, uh, we don't outlast our assets. Um, purchasing power is pretty important right now, and that has to do with inflation is the, the money that we're saving today, is it gonna be worth as much um, to cover our spending needs 10 years from now, 30 years from now, if prices go up and then the downside risk in the market, um, you know, what happens on days like today, um, times like you know, the, the COVID crisis in March of 2020, there's a posit that says that you know, the day you retire is the riskiest day of your life because that's kind of, the, the day that you stop collecting this income and you have to rely on whatever happens, right? right. And uh, so, so protecting against um, downside risk um, without, of course, giving up upside, that's hard to do. So just to take one of those, let's talk about longevity and that that's essentially returns, right? So are, are we gonna get enough returns? Are we gonna have enough growth in our assets to make sure they last through our retirement? And that's, you know, that changes over time. It used to, the last five years, if you just had a plain vanilla 60-40 portfolio, you got 10% um, annualized over the past five years. But um, our investment policy committee, who is a team of our 30 most senior investment professionals um, around the globe, they have um, top-down economic expertise, bottom-up stock and bond expertise. Um, they get together every year in August and um, they forecast what's going to happen with every single asset class um, based on what's going on in the world right now with growth, with inflation, with monetary policy, with geopolitics, and then what has um, taken into account um, past data. And they forecast what's going to happen over the next uh, five plus years. And our forecasts for this same 60-40 portfolio is um, just about 4%. So we're, we're thinking 5% for the 60 part for um, uh, U.S. stocks or developed market stocks and about 2.5% for the, the 40 part. And so um, compared to the past five years, 10% versus 4%, that's a pretty big change in um, any kind of growth in your portfolio. So 
Um, if, if you are an advisor and you're concerned about that, about keeping up um, you know, this higher rate of return, um, it, it might behoove you to do something different than just having a plain vanilla 60-40 uh, uh, portfolio. So I know that, you know, that's a lot. So I don't know if we want to go into the others. Yeah. Well, first of all, you're kind of bumming me out with uh, that, <laughs> that return expectation. Um, I might have to cancel my subscription to Northern Trust Asset Management <laughs> monthly. No, uh, that would be the wrong move. <laughs> um, that, that is, uh, that's a little bit dark and stormy right there. And, and this kind of gets me to the other thing that I'm always harping on on this podcast and the columns I write and stuff like that. I don't even understand why people who are still working have fixed income in their portfolios at this point. And I know whenever I throw that out there, I get all these advisors calling me nasty names and telling me it's for the ballast and the balance and to reduce volatility and all that other good stuff. But if you're young enough, it seems like you should be able to withstand volatility as long as you can you know, accept the fact that it's a generally upward trajectory but, you know, why do you want fixed income just dragging you down when you're 35 years old, which I'm not? I mean, I, I guess it's all, you know, your individual risk aversion. And, and it is true what you said about the, the ballast, which basically means, you know, often when stocks go down, um, bonds stay up or flat. Um, but there are other ways to do that, too, and other ways that can get you more returns than investment-grade bonds. So, uh, for example, you said you're going to unsubscribe to Northern Trust Asset Management, <laughs> but let me tell you some of the things that we do in our portfolios that um, can help you improve over that 4% return. And one of the things is adding diversifying asset classes. And, and one mm -hmm. of the asset classes that we have in our portfolios that you don't see in um, many portfolios out there is our high yield bonds. And um, high yield bonds are um, of course not investment grade bonds, but um, they have never been of higher quality. Over the past 20 years, the, the quality in the high yield space has just gotten better and better and better. So you're getting a lot of bang, risk and uh, yield bang for your risk buck in the high yield market. And um, the, the type of return you can get in uh, high yield historically has been you can get more than half of the upside of stocks with um, about a third of the downside of stocks. And the benefit of high yield in a market environment like today, where um, you know, short-term interest rates uh, might be going up, the duration or are going up, and might be going up even more due to you know, concerns over what's happening with Russia and Ukraine inflation. Um, the, the benefit is that high yield is a shorter duration fixed income asset class. So it doesn't get affected as negatively affected by um, uh, increase in interest rates as investment grade bonds. So you don't have as much downside risk from the um, interest rate part. And you have much more of a buffer on the yield side. So the problem with investment grade bonds is that you only have a one and a half percent coupon yield buffer for any kind of downside risk that comes from duration. And the duration in a in an intermediate bond uh, portfolio right now is seven years, which is the highest it's been since um, you know the the great financial crisis. And so mm -hmm. you're you're really not getting um, yield bang for your risk buck in investment grade. So it's really your, it's really that diversification kind of sleep at night kind of 
role in the portfolio, we, we call that a risk control asset. And so I, I would agree that um, there, there might be um, room for you to take on more risk and more growth in your portfolio than, than maybe you're typically used to. But maybe the reason that um, clients are willing to do that is because they, they don't know how that's going to affect their portfolio. And I think that having somebody constantly watching over the portfolio and communicating with them what's going on in the world, how that's affecting their portfolio and how their portfolios are still on track for the future, I think that would help them take on more risk in their portfolios. I like what you say about high yield and, and if I'm gonna be in bonds um, or maybe not me personally, but if people are gonna be in bonds, it seems like high yield will make a little more sense, but. I'm going to challenge you just on a couple of things here, Nadia. Um, one is that if you're saying that the high yield, which are another word for high yield is junk bonds, is um, higher quality, aren't they, if they're higher quality, aren't they less high yield then? Or are you still getting good yields for higher quality? No, you're, you're getting great yields for the quality that it is right now. So the, the yields are north of 5%. There, there's a lot we can get into with high yield, but um, there's a lot to do with um, the supply, which is um, the new issuance. Um, our view is that the new issuance of high yield, I mean, the last couple of years, the issuance has been pretty big. So there's, there's really no reason for issuance to go up for any kind of refinancing or anything like that over um, the, the medium term. And then in terms of demand, there's so many people, going back to income, there's so many people demanding yield, and this is the best place to find yield in the market, that that is um, uh, buffering the, um, uh, it is bumping up the, um, the returns of the asset class through the demand as well. So we like it from a supply perspective, we like it from a demand perspective, and we like it from a yield versus um, credit risk perspective, and definitely from a yield versus interest rate perspective. And, and the other thing about high yields, isn't that often seen as kind of a proxy for equity in terms of performance? We use it in our um, risk bucket. So the way we combine, the way we do asset allocation or the trust is a risk control and a risk bucket, a risk asset bucket. And we use high yield as part of our risk assets. And it's definitely the least riskiest um, risk asset and can help in um, uh, times like today. So, you know, when, when the market's going down, it's not going to go down as much in the portfolio, but it definitely has upside potential. So do you still get, do you still get the same amount of ballast benefit, uh, kind of keeping your portfolio from bouncing around too much when you're using high yield as you would from uh, investment grade bonds? So the, the trick with retirement income is to get yield without taking on too much risk from that yield. And um, so that is um, high yield is one of those um, asset classes that we like that for. Um, there are other asset classes, though, that we like getting yield without taking on too much risk. Um, so one area is uh, real, real assets. So real assets, natural resources, real estate and infrastructure. Um, they all are higher yielding asset classes, especially now natural resources. Um, is yielding north of 3%. Um, those companies are very cash rich right now and are paying out those, um, that cash to their uh, shareholders. And um, so those um, asset classes can also serve as um, getting some more growth in your portfolio, adding more yield to your portfolio, but also 
um, they can be diversifying. So for example, today, today, you know, Russia uh, invaded the Ukraine and stock prices have plunged, but oil prices are up. So natural resource stocks are up. In January, when both stocks were down and bonds were down because interest rates rose, natural resources was the only positive asset class in, uh, in January. So there are other asset classes that are high yielding that can diversify and help with that ballast, that downside risk, but they don't do it at the same time as investment grade bonds, which is the whole point of diversification. What are, what are some other, you mentioned oil, but what are other examples of natural resources that people might use? Uh, metals, uh, water, um, anything you can think of um, is natural resources. And interestingly, there's people typically think of commodities, uh, but the way we invest in natural resources and Northern Trust is actual, actually natural resource equities. And the reason we do that, um, and our uh, ETF actually follows a, um, an index that um, uh, I was around Morningstar, Morningstar when it was created, um, so this index is essentially the upstream companies that are close to the extraction of the natural resource. And so the, the price of their stock is closely tied to the price of the natural resource versus like a downside distributor or like a, you know, end refiner and then distributor kind of a thing. So because we're investing in the stocks of natural resources, it has a few benefits. One, we get more asset classes like water. There's no water-based commodity uh, as of yet. Um, and two, um, it is liquid, right? Um, commodities, um, they are liquid, but you have to, um, you know, there's a, a, a maturity on them and you basically have to sell out and buy a new one um, every few months. And when you do that, um, you might get a loss in terms of the, the buying and the selling. Whereas you hold a stock and you hold a stock and an X um, like the stock and you don't have to buy or sell. But if you do buy or sell, it's a very um, easy to um, wrap your head around it's, and it's liquid. And that's how we invest in natural resources. And then besides that, the dividend yield on them is amazing. And you're referring to talking about buying the commodity, the futures contract. The futures are, contract, yeah. yes. And you have this in an ETF at Northern Trust. You can give us the name and the, and the ticker symbol if you have it. Um, so the way um, we are structured in Northern Trust is that, uh, so we're, we're a wealth manager ourselves. And so that makes us a little bit different than other asset managers out there that basically just invest in funds and then they sell these funds to financial advisors who are the wealth managers. But we have our own wealth management business and um, the asset allocation, the portfolio construction that we have is firm-wide and we use it for our own wealth clients, we use it for our institutional clients and we use it for our third-party uh, financial advisors that um, we deliver model portfolios to. And um, so this um, asset allocation process, I talked about our investment policy committee, it's both strategic. So every single year uh, we come up with the best portfolios based on uh, across you know, a range of um, risk profiles based on what our five-year outlook is for every single asset class and what the optimal combination of those asset classes are for every risk bucket. But then every month or ad hoc, like today, our investment policy committee is meeting today to figure out um, based on you know, what we thought about last month, is our thesis still on track and do we need to um, have a little bit more risk assets in the portfolio, have a little bit less risk assets in the portfolio? Do we need to have a little bit more or less high yield, a little bit more or less equities. 
Um, so we, we make these tweaks on a, a monthly basis and then we fill our portfolios. So these are models and asset class models and it's an asset allocation structure. And then we fill our models with um, our FlexShares ETFs. And that's because we design our FlexShares ETFs to actually serve our own asset allocation process and serve our own wealth management uh, and institutional business. Mm -hmm. And so the, the FlexShares ETF suite, we don't have just plain vanilla passive uh, strategies in there because um, we are trying to, in addition to, I talked earlier about how how to get more than just that 4%. Well, we get more than just that 4% for a 60-40 because one, we have more asset classes in there. That's gonna help us get maybe another 1% on top of that 4% for a traditional 60-40. Then we have a tactical asset allocation process and that's our investment policy committee who meets monthly or ad hoc based on what's going on in the market uh, to tweak the portfolios to make sure that we're um, we're doing the right thing um, at the right time for these changing and challenging markets. And we actually have tracked every single decision we've made over the last 14 years. And we've outperformed a 60-40 by 70 basis points annualized with these decisions. So it's a pretty well-established process. It's a voting committee, it's 30 people, um, all the top minds in our um, group. And then our FlexShares ETFs are designed to outperform that passive market index for each asset class. So for example, in equities, we're trying to get you more than just you know, the passive market. For high yield, we're trying to get you better than high yield. For natural resources, we're trying to get you better than natural resources. And um, so for the natural resource ETF, uh, the, the, it's, the ticker is GUNR, G-U-N-R. Um, and um, as I mentioned, it's an ETF of um, stocks that um, are, are close to the commodity. And so they, um, they move like the commodity and have inflation benefit. And that's actually something we, didn't, we haven't talked about is inflation. Well, yeah, we've kind of danced around it. Um, inflation is, uh, last I checked, I don't think this is gonna matter that we're talking about this on the 24th and it published on the 28th, it's 7.5%. <laughs> Uh, I don't think it's going to drop or rise dramatically in the next four days. And this thing in uh, Ukraine is is probably going to further exacerbate that, especially on the energy side. Um, that's got to be one of the biggest challenges for a financial advisor managing somebody somebody's portfolio in retirement, right? Because they're they're on a so-called fixed income, and I call it so-called because. Uh, they do get raises, to, they get social security bumps and stuff like that. But uh, to me, I look at my fixed, my, my income is fixed also. It's just that I, I guess I'm still working so I could go, but my income, unless I'm on commission, which I'm not, doesn't really fluctuate. They don't pay you commission for this stuff? They should. No, no. They, they, <laughs> Based on how many people listen. <laughs> <laughs> they pay me uh, a salary. Uh, no comment. I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> Um, yeah, so inflation is always important to wealth planning, and I think advisors know this, and, but, but the clients don't know this. The clients don't think. They think they just see the headlines, oh, you know, inflation went up 7.5%. Oh, you know, my income didn't go up 7.5%. How am I going to keep up with you know, meat prices, $28 a pound, and gas prices, $4 a gallon? How am I going to keep up with that? Um, but the reality is because going back to 
our, the very first part of our conversation, retirement is so long. Prices can go up over long periods of time, and they generally do. And um, we have a nice paper called Feeding Inflation and Retirement. And even um, just over a 10-year period, uh, somebody who's 10 years out to retirement, if inflation goes up by 1%, and normal inflation is around 2%, if inflation goes up by 1%, then um, their real income, their real spending income has declined by 14%. So it's very important to always be thinking about inflation in your portfolios and in your clients' portfolios because essentially their returns and the income has to keep up with um, prices that they're going to be spending their assets on and their income on in retirement. And, and that's why we have um, diversifying asset classes like natural resources, um, I mentioned in January. Uh, it was the top performing asset class. Last year, uh, 2021, it was uh, one of the best performing asset classes, as was TIPS as well on the fixed income side. Now we think TIPS are um, a little bit overvalued, so we're, we're not as bullish on TIPS as um, as we are with other types of um, real assets, the equity-based um, real assets, um, but other asset classes that have inflation mitigating benefits are uh, real estate and infrastructure. Because if you think about it, it's all about passing through the costs so that they can keep their revenues, the revenues of these companies um, grow with, grow at least as much as costs are increasing. And if you think about real estate, it's, you know, the, the rents can get passed on to the end consumer and infrastructure. If you think about a pipeline, it's kind of like rents, it gets passed on to um, the, end, uh, the end user. And so all of these uh, natural resources, real estate, infrastructure, equities, those are all inflation mitigating, mitigating asset classes, but they also have the benefit of a different risk return profile that might do better when other stocks and bonds don't. And they also have the benefit of higher yield, which helps with the income. I want to go back to tips for a minute. Uh, mm -hmm. Treasury inflation protected securities. I'm going to ask a dumb question and I'm allowed to do that because I'm the host. And because Bruce isn't here, he won't be able to make fun of me. But if we're in an inflationary environment, why are tips now overvalued? Shouldn't they just be, you know, in all their glory right now? This seems like the perfect opportunity for tips. It's all about what has been priced in and the high inflation has already been priced into tips. So that outperformance already happened and it happened last year. And so if you got into tips this year, you're not gonna be, you wouldn't have been happy with your performance um, because all of it's, investing is all about what's already priced into the market and what's not. And that's what our investment committee does. Like that's what they're talking about right now as we speak about, you know, this Russia-Ukraine crisis. They're talking about what is priced in to the market already, what is the market not expecting, and how is that going to play out in the, the different um, asset classes. And um, that's that's the story with tips. Are tips something that, because I only hear about tips when inflation is either looming or already here. Are tips the kind of thing that you would recommend or that people normally would have in their portfolio all the time? So tips are um, inflation mitigating, but they're also uh, a risk control asset. So we talked about you know, um, the role of investment grade bonds in the portfolio. They are investment grade bonds. So they, they are a risk control asset. So for very conservative investors, uh, that's where you would have 
um, tips in your portfolio, um, maybe, maybe on a regular basis. Um, but for the more growth investors, um, you would only have tips in your portfolio if they're you know, um, undervalued or have, have room to grow, which we don't think that they do right now. The last thing I want to talk to you about is uh, is global infrastructure companies. Um, what the why are these attractive, and uh, how do you how does an investor gain access, and why should you have that in your portfolio? Infrastructure companies, it's it's kind of a, a loose term, and everybody defines it a little bit differently. But um, if you think about them as um, pipelines, so um, transportation, um, communication, you know, lines like bandwidth. Um, you know, trucking, pipelines, um, utility companies, um, anything that's like a conduit is kind of like an infrastructure um, type company. And um, they, they, the benefit of them is, is precisely that, that they, they pass through um, costs and um, they, they act a little bit differently than the rest of the market. Uh, anything else you can tell us about how uh, people are supposed to muscle through in this rising uh, inflation, low yield environment, aside from doing what I do is just buy more stocks and, uh, and hope for the best. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's really interesting that you say that, um, buy more stocks and hope for the best, because one of the things that is probably one of the hardest things that advisors have to go through is convincing their clients to stick with the plan, to have a plan and then stick with it, especially during times of market turbulence like this. And so what we do at Northern Trust, we don't just have model portfolios because we know that that doesn't, um, I mean, it does help um, advisors, but um, what really helps advisors is the support that goes along with these model portfolios. So what advisors have told us that they need are um, education pieces, asset allocation or market updates that their end clients can understand that help their end clients first want to invest with them and secondly, stay invested with them and third, feel like that they're adding, that their advisors adding value. And so that's what we have with our model portfolios. And we have a really nice um, piece called the 10 principles of effective investing. And my favorite principle is principle number four, volatility happens. And the chart shows that over the past 40 years, if you invested $10,000 in the S&P 500, but you pulled your money out of the 10 best days of market returns over that 40 years. So just taking out 10 days over 40 years, instead of having 925,000, you would have only had 413,000. So $10,000 could have grown into $925,000, but if you missed 10 days, you would have had less than half of that. And that's because the best days in the market, the market is lumpy. The distribution of returns in the market is lumpy and the best days tend to happen after the worst days. And so if you're not staying invested, um, you're not gonna end up meeting, your clients aren't gonna end up meeting your long-term goals. And so we have a really nice chart with a script that advisors can use to, um, they can hand this to clients, they can use it um, as a seminar. For our retirement income portfolios, we have a nice brochure called Successful Spending in Retirement. And it goes through just what we're talking about. You have you know, all your, your nest eggs saved, now what? You're retired, what, what do you do? Do you have to think about saving more? Do you have to think about um, spending? How much to spend? Um, where are you gonna get um, your income from? What, um, 
expenses to cover with what income. And then at the end, we show how our model portfolios can help um, with that planning and with other things that advisors might use in the planning process, like, like an annuity or something like that. And um, so I think what's even more important than having the, the right portfolio and the right asset allocation and the right um, investments, um, what's even more important is being able to uh, communicate that to your client, because in the end, uh, what we want is for your client to stick with the plan and um, stay invested so that they can meet their long-term goals. And so that's what we try to do at Northern Trust. We're trying to um, help um, deliver you model portfolios that'll um, give you better than a traditional 60-40 in terms of expected risk, return, and income. We're trying to help keep your clients invested and stick to their plan. And we're helping you grow and scale your business so you don't have to spend as much time on this communication part and spend more time with your clients. All right. Really good stuff from Nadia. I, I learned a lot. I learned that uh, I should be less like uh, myself and maybe more like Nadia and get myself some fixed income and, and be a little more diversified. Nadia Papagiannis, Practice Lead Multi-Asset Solutions at Northern Trust Asset Management. She's obviously a very smart person and difficult to get a hold of. So I can only get a hold of her because I have connections. But uh, if you ever get a hold of her, I, I, I suggest you pick her brain because she's, uh, she's super smart. Thanks a lot, Nadia. Well, Jeff, don't, uh, don't change a beat. You're, you're great as you are. Thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, thanks for having me. And I'd be happy to talk to um, any advisor that's interested. Excellent. Okay, that's our 86th episode of the Investment News Podcast, folks. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll catch you again next week when uh, Bruce Kelly is back with me. Thanks a lot. Thank you.